Yes, Father. Thank you for giving us your son. Jesus, you are the builder of the house. We are your house, God. And now more than that, we are your children, your sons and daughters, adopted by you, predestined to be heirs of a great inheritance. Jesus, you're worthy of all that we've ascribed to you this morning. Hear the house of the Lord sing praise. We are God's house. Be lifted high on the praises of your people, your house this morning. And continue to give us joy and gladness and satisfaction in you, Jesus. You are the joy that we're after. You are the satisfaction. You are the treasure. You are the infinite value of the universe. Give us the strength to seek and be satisfied in you, Jesus. Now, as we hear from your word, from your servant, Pastor Rick, give him boldness, give him clarity and wisdom to speak your word faithfully and to proclaim what you want for us this morning. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, who lives and dwells in your people, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hands to do what your word says. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue. I'm so glad you joined us today. I'm grateful that you were able to come and begin to worship with us as we open up Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Christ preached to a culture that was steeped in religion and tradition. Now, not all of that was bad, but some was. 
Jesus systematically changed the price tags and boldly described what life looked like underneath a good king. His words shocked the first century Jews and will continue to shock us today. We would all agree that murder is bad. But in the kingdom, Jesus said that hate is the same. Adultery is bad, but lust is just as deadly. Divorce is bad because permanent or marriage is permanent. Lying under any circumstance is wrong. Revenge. Revenge is just God's job. And then last week, if you're with us, love and pray for your enemies. The people by this time, as they were hearing this message, their jaws were dropping. What else could Jesus say? What was he going to describe? Well, in Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18, which is our text today, and you can begin to open up your Bibles or your flat screens, Jesus addresses three important pillars of first century Judaism, giving, praying, and fasting. Now, Jesus knew the importance of all three of these spiritual disciplines, and he practiced these disciplines, but when Jesus was preaching, this had all gone awry. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word, your life-transforming word, the very word of God. We can open up this letter, this book, and from creation all the way to the time when eternity begins, you've written and guided us and given us words of hope. Lord, this feels special, that, that we have your words, that you spoke to a group of people thousands of years ago. Your words back then shook them up. Your words continue to shake us up, not because we're so surprised, but so grateful for an abundant life that you have given each one of us who have been adopted. We can't believe that life under this good king will be so life-giving. So, Father, as we open up your word today, as so many other churches and other pastors and other teachers have done and are doing, we pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us. That I would not stumble through any words, but I might be able to share boldly and accurately what you're teaching us today. Father, we pray for the different churches in our area, and we pray for Grace Point and Meadowland and Redemption. 
There are churches all over this area and in our state and in our country and all over the world. We pray, Father, that, that you would continue to feed and encourage your family and that we would be salt and light. We thank you for all the ministries that go on here, for the opportunities we've had to be able to teach your word, for the service that so many people have provided. We thank you for Scott Anzac and his leadership yesterday for the workday. We thank you, Father, for the hills who are overseeing our pasta day lunch today. But God, there are so many other things that are going on. Downstairs right now, there are teachers who are working with our children. We pray, God, you would bless them and encourage them and that our kids would learn to love you more and more every day. Father, we're grateful for all you've done. And we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that we would leave strengthened today because of your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. We're going to hit Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. We're going to read the whole text, and then I'm going to come back and hit different portions of that. So you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious. I'll continue. But when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. 
for they tried to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what, to, knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. You know, giving to the poor, praying and fasting is all good. Jesus says you will get reward for your giving, praying, and fasting, either now or later. Our motivation determines when the reward is received. God the Father sees everything and rewards some. Everyone will get an applause for giving, praying, or fasting. But not everyone will please the Father. We're talking about three spiritual disciplines this morning. All the spiritual disciplines could be misunderstood. But spiritual disciplines, if I could help us at least understand a little bit, put you on the right path of loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Spiritual disciplines help you go deeper in your relationship with God. They aren't practiced to appease the Almighty or for show. They are the means to help us hear and respond to God and grow in our intimacy. We need a farmer's perspective. And most of you know I am not a farmer. But I know what farmers do, at least a little bit. They work really hard. They prepare the soil. They plant the seed. And then they wait. And they wait. And they wait. They depend upon God. You see, farmers work hard. But they are so dependent on what I hear, Mother Nature, but what we know is God. Now, there's a warning when practicing dis, uh, disciplines, and I would just say beware of the extremes. Sometimes people overemphasize our role or even God's role. It's a dance. It's both, and God is leading. Remember the farmer illustration. The second thing I need to warn you about is turning disciplines into laws. That kills the relationship. And many of you know during that first century of the Pharisees, and they were really good at this. Turning something good into something, well, that had to be a law. Let me try to put it this way. Disciplines only open the door for the spirit to work. If you are going to play basketball, you're going to learn the fundamentals. You're going to learn to pass. You're going to learn to defend. You're going to learn to dribble. You're going to learn all these different things. You're going to learn to make layups with your left hand and your right hand. And it goes on and on and on. But let me say this is that 
nobody ever goes to a basketball game to watch somebody dribble. Whoa! Now again, there's some pretty good trick dribblers. I, I get it. But whoa, this is so cool. I love how... No. You love to go watch basketball because the game of basketball is beautiful with the passing and the shooting and the defending. I remember I grew up in Michael Jordan era. And one interview with Michael Jordan, I, I just never have forgotten it. And there was someone asking Michael, Michael, do you practice all these moves? Do you, do you kind of like, how, how do, you, do you visualize this? Like, tell us, how come you're so good? And honestly, he looked at the reporter and just said this, well, I don't practice any of that. I just decide in midair. Really? The, the idea is, is that he has worked so hard on all the fundamentals that once he's up there, you know, 10 feet tall, he moves around and puts that little ball in the hoop. It's not about the fundamentals, it's about the game. And disciplines help us be able to enjoy who God is. Well, what's interesting is that the Lord introduces an important and surprising twist. Helping the poor, praying and fasting are to be done without any fanfare or show. In fact, it's usually best to do them in secrecy or privacy. His words almost killed the Pharisees. Let's go back. Chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Watch out, Jesus says. Don't do your good deeds publicly or be, to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward, reward you. Jesus already said a little bit earlier in this sermon, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, to let your good deeds shine to glorify God. Yes, you are here to make an impact, and it is good to give to the poor and the needy. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, the scripture says this, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. In Proverbs 14, verse 31, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors God. You see, the Newer Testament has a lot to say about what we call the grace of giving. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, that whole chapter is dedicated to help believers understand what generosity actually looks like. 
We are told there to give sacrificially and joyfully and liberally and thankfully. In fact, many of you were here last week when we welcomed 16 members to our church. One of the things we talked to with our members is that they would learn about generosity and grow in generosity. That that, again, is something that Christians do as they walk with God. They become less and less self-focused or selfish. Then Jesus gives us some additional principles in this sermon. He says this, don't give seeking the praise of others. Don't give to others so you look good. Then he says this, Don't let your hands know what the other is doing. In other words, Jesus is saying, respond joyously. He's basically saying, I'm not sure what kind of money you have in your wallet, but again, man, if there's a need, let's pull that baby out and let's give. Let's give. Why? Why do you do this? Because you want to please your father. He sees everything and will reward your generosity. Let's look at praying, starting in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, Jesus says, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They repeat their prayers, or they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. You see, prayer in its simplest and basic sense is a conversation with God. The Pharisees and those in this first century have made it some art. They would use language that very few people would ever use. They would be very pompous. They they would be filled with all kinds of expression, almost as if you were in theater, on a platform. But Jesus knew that prayer was important. He says, when you pray, he assumes that praying is important because in any relationship, communication is critical. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Make communication with God a priority. In Philippians 4, 6, the scriptures say, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Talk to God about everything. Share with God your hurts, your discouragements, your joys. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, the scripture says, never stop praying. Never stop talking to God. Talk to God all the time as you're driving, as you're walking. Talk to God. 
It's very interesting. Some of you know Pastor John Piper. But John Piper says this about prayer, and, and it hit me. He says this, Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. Prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the den. Jesus said, don't put a show on when you pray. Jesus says, don't babble when you pray. And then he does this. He says, I'm going to teach you to pray. I'm going to show you. Some of you know it as the Lord's Prayer. Probably better should be called the pattern prayer. But let's read chapter 9, starting at verse 15. Now, what I did do is do a little switch. We have been using the New Living Translation, but almost any time that you quote the Lord's Prayer, it's quoted in King James language. So I'm going to read it that way, and we're going to look at it that way because we're most familiar with it that way, all right? So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then Jesus continues, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, oh, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, it's interesting, in all of the Gospels, the disciples, at least what we have recorded, only asked Jesus to teach them one time about anything. And in Luke chapter 11, Luke records this just a little bit differently, but he actually says, he goes, the disciples asked, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so this is what he said. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Very familiar words, and some of those words are hard to understand, but, but Jesus is saying this, may your name be kept holy. The idea is that as we pray, we admire and esteem and honor and revere and treasure and value God above all else. You start there. Oh God, you are honored. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is encouraging those kingdom patriots to pray for the kingdom to be more manifest. I want God's kingdom to come today. I want his rule and his reign in my life right now. May I represent the king well in my actions, reflecting God to others as I do life. 
This is also a request for the fullness of the kingdom to come, the day when Jesus Christ returns. You may recall that Jesus actually modeled this when he was in the garden. As he looked forward or looked ahead, maybe, to the cross. And he recognized this was God's will for him in the garden. And he prayed, Father, is there another way? Is there any other way? But I want your will, not mine. Oh, to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a dangerous prayer. It, it means the ex or it, it means that you more than anything want God's sovereign will to happen and you want to put your desires aside. It means you willingly submit your life to be molded and shaped by the heavenly Father. The reason the majority of us don't pray that way is our faith has not been developed. We don't know if we can trust God. If we ask, and desire to do your will and submit to your will. Father, is that really best? And we know it is. The pattern prayer then shifts to praying for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide what we need, Lord. Most of us don't pray for daily bread in this culture, in this area. All over the world, this is an extreme prayer request by many believers. But we need God for provision. Everything we have is given to us by Him. Then, actually an odd request, even, even though so many of you repeated this. Forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who hurt us. As I said, it's an odd request unless you understand justification and sanctification. Those that have trusted Christ as Savior, those who have responded to Jesus' free gift of salvation and asked him to be your Savior, all of our past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. We have been justified and positionally stand before God as his child cleansed by the blood of Jesus. No doubt about it. But God, forgive us our sins, our debt. We all know that God's kids still sin and need forgiveness. God is sanctifying us and making us holy in order to reflect him well on this planet. So many of you know 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. It restores our relationship with God. It enables us to walk with God. It helps us bear fruit that God produces in us. But Jesus did add, forgive us, Father, in the same way we forgive those who hurt us. And Jesus makes the principle clear in verses 14 and 15, where he says, for if you forgive those who have hurt you, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. Again, might be a little confusing, but, but what Jesus is saying here is that the lack of forgiving others is a sin, and it needs to be confessed. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the apostle writes this, so encouraging, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Wow. Doesn't even say, hey, forgive them if they deserve it. Forgive them if it's your wife. Forgive them if it... No ifs. Forgive one another. Now, Then Jesus goes on and says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And don't let us yield to temptation, Lord, the enemy's allure, but rescue us from the evil one. You see, Satan's wartime goal is to discourage us, defile us, devour us, and defeat us. Without the Lord's guidance, Through the enemy's minefields, we are certain to be defeated. The prayer for deliverance from temptation and the evil one is preventative medicine, something that Jesus asked us to do. Now, many of us, as we repeat the Lord's prayer or pattern prayer, we will end this way. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, in any of the modern translations, if you have your Bible open, this is not there. All right. This part actually is found in the King James, which was written in the 1600s, but it's just not found in the earlier Greek manuscripts. And we're not going to go into all that right now, but, but the truth is this, is that we have a little bit better uh, ability to be able to understand exactly when the Bible was written and how it was written because of some of the manuscripts that we have available to us now. So if I would ask you this, how do you pray? Oh, well, you pray privately, because you want to please your Father, because He sees everything and will reward you. Oh, we come to our Lord like our dad. We talk to Him. We share with Him. We depend upon Him. It is not some kind of flowery language. I love listening to other people pray because 
I love how they, well, talk to God. I learn different things in different ways. It's encouraging. Now let's look at fasting. Fasting. Let's look, starting at chat, or, uh, verse 16. And when you fast, again, Jesus is assuming you're going to fast. Now, we're not going to have anybody raise hands before we go any further. But there's a good possibility that some of you have never fasted in this room. All right? I, I just want you to know, um, we're not raising the hands. But this is something actually God sees as helpful. We're going to look at it through Jesus' perspective. But he says this, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people would admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face and brush your teeth. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Fasting is like other spiritual disciplines done in order to experience God. Fasting means to stop eating, drinking, Maybe digesting media, spending time on the internet, or even sexual activity so that you can focus on your intimacy with God. It's like an athlete in training who chooses to go without in order to win. God's kids go without in order to focus on what truly satisfies. Let me just give you a very simple way to even think about this. Maybe you could, you know, you read the Gospels and you see that Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. Oh, man, that's what I'm going to do. Jesus did it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I'm saying that you probably shouldn't start there. That's all. Maybe it's fasting from one meal and using that time differently. You don't have to prepare for it. You don't take the time of eating. But maybe this would be a little bit more prayer time for you or opportunity to study. The idea is, not again, is that you put it on Facebook. By the way... Yes, I fasted in order to be able to pray better. And this is what I prayed. Oh, Holy Father. I don't know if you can do that, Facebook, like have that inflection. But what I do know is this, is that that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, yes, fasting is good. Yes, it's an opportunity for you to go without in order to you focus on something that is more important and that actually will truly satisfy. So he says, when you fast, don't fast as the hypocrites fast. Whoa, because if you do, you have your reward. You do. Fast privately and look normal. 
If you want to please your father because he sees everything and will reward you. That's pretty cool. Now, all the way through this text, Jesus is ending, hey, you want to do these disciplines or any disciplines because you want to please your father because he sees everything and he will reward you. Jesus has been talking about the Father's reward. What does reward look like for us as believers? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the Scriptures tell us that we will all appear, that all believers will appear before the Bema seat of God. All right, that's the judgment seat, who at that time will give rewards based on how many times we fasted. No, based on faithfulness, based on how we listened to him, based on how we invested the gifts that God had given us. How faithful are we to him? The scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, to serve our Lord enthusiastically because no matter what you do, your labor will not be in vain. God says, I will reward you if you have that right motive. If you serve me and recognize who you're serving. You're not pleasing an earthly boss. You're not pleasing people. You're pleasing God, the Almighty God. You know, as I wrap up today, we looked at three spiritual disciplines. Giving, in particular to the poor, praying, and fasting. And and these really are wonderful spiritual disciplines that should be done to please your heavenly Father, not people. In fact, that's the whole difference of a relationship. If you serve your spouse or you serve your kids or you serve whoever that is, because you're supposed to, something is missing, right? You have this bad attitude. You're kind of grumpy. You kind of walk in the room, well, I hope you enjoyed that. It gives you warm fuzzies. Or because you love her so much or him. Or you love our Lord and you've spent time with him. And, and you desire to get deeper and richer in your relationship with him. Oh, it's so different. God says he sees every action and he knows our motivation. May our heavenly Father in grace and mercy help us learn the way of Jesus that we would spend time with our Lord and enjoy different disciplines in order to help us go deeper with God. It's the difference between pleasing men and pleasing God. 
And Jesus was addressing a culture that did a really good job in pleasing men. He was trying to open their eyes and say, oh, life with the king is so good. Oh, you just need to spend time with him. You need to talk with him. You need to listen to him. Oh, he changes you from the inside. He gives you different perspective of all the things that you own. You want to give and encourage the poor. And there are times you just want God. And you go without so that you might have this unbelievable depth in your relationship. Let's bow our heads. I'm I'm not sure where everybody is at. I'm not. I, I, I don't know about your motivations. I don't even know if you've exercised any spiritual disciplines. But I'd like you just to be quiet and talk with God right now. Maybe he's pricking your heart. Maybe he, he's asking you to do something. Maybe there's some motivation that, well, wasn't there. And you just simply need to confess. But spend a few moments for I close in prayer. Father, so many of us have it wrong. We, we, we think that religion or church is something that we do to please you. Oh, we help out in ministries or, or we give some money in the, in the offering plate or, or maybe we're, we're even serving at a pantry. But God, the truth is, is that you want us to serve and to spend time with you because of our love for you. Open our eyes, Father. May you deliver us from religion and help us enjoy relationship. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.